and gentlemen, stand by. Go. I see the first door, my strategy was just to pull right through it. Bad idea. That thing was solid. Luckily, I didn't get knocked out. Now, Alex is definitely an underdog against these military operatives, but his kickboxing training could give him an edge. Tools have been provided along the course. The operatives can choose to use these or not. They can also take them with them or leave them behind. Okay, looks like Danny's having a real problem. Small size might be hurting him here. I uh, make a full sprint at the door. The door doesn't go forward. This thing is solid as a rock. If Danny can just push through this first door, he can still get right back in there. Both Jonathan and Alex are still struggling on the pry door. The second door, I've never seen a door like that. I just start prying away and trying to see how the door reacted as I was prying. Okay, Alex is doing a really good job of following the lead set by Jonathan. Wow. Jonathan through the second breach. And once again, Alex is right on his tail. This is impressive. This water coming down on him, just like if they were trying to break into a building and the alarms were going off. That, that's a real thing, and that's a real distractor. It's getting in your eyes. You can't see. It's making your grip slip. The surprise stressor of water makes this much more difficult to do. However, a good operative's got to be able to deal with the unknown and drive on. This wall is definitely solid and uh, full of concrete and rebar, and uh, the water falls on us. Hey, my name is Danny. I'm the, I'm the campus minister at Hope Ames. I also get to be a part of Kairos, and I wanted to show you that clip because sometimes life feels like there's a locked door in front of you and there's nothing you can do to get through it. Uh, imagine if that is like the experience of college, right? So take a look at the guy who's farthest away from the camera. He is approaching the door, trying to find his major, and wham! Right into the face. Uh, and, 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 and to no avail. And, and sometimes that's what life feels like, right? And then sure enough, there's the one guy that they identify specifically. They name him Danny and they say, oh, poor little Danny. He's too little. Maybe this is when you're like, I can't find any friends at college. I can't burst through that door. I mean, what is it like for you when it feels like the doors in life are locked in front of you? I've been there for sure. Sometimes the reason why we feel isolated is because there are locked doors in front of us and we feel like we can't just get out there into the life that we always wanted to live. Isolated is the name of the series that we've been going through over the last few weeks. We've been looking at the book of Philippians and asking, how do I grow in my faith when I'm not where I want to be? And sometimes we are not where we want to be because we are locked in a room and that door is in front of us. And no matter how hard we smash our body against the door, we are having no success whatsoever. I mean, is there a key to that good living that our soul so desperately wants to live and experience? I grew up in West Des Moines, but I grew up on the Waukee side of West Des Moines. And so I went to Waukee High School. And so every single morning I would drive into the city of Waukee and I would see this sign. They have this slogan. The key to good living. Now, I spent every single day growing up in Waukee, but I never found the key to good living. I still wondered, what is it? Is it the city? Is it the people? Is it the opportunities? It is a great city. Don't get me wrong, but the key to good living, it, it, it was still a secret to me. What do you think the key to good living is? Paul, in our reading today, he says, I found it. I learned the secret to living in every situation. I got the secret figured out. I got the key. I want to talk about that tonight. The key to good living. What is that? What does Paul say is the key? Well, if we back it up just a verse in Philippians chapter 4, Paul says this. I learned how to be content with whatever I have. 
I learned the secret of living in every situation. The secret? It's contentment. Now, what does contentment really mean? Does contentment look like smashing your body into a door over and over again just to see what might be on the other side? No, no, it doesn't. Does contentment look like getting through two doors and finally getting to that brick wall and you're like, aha, this is it right now. But sometimes when you're maybe getting to the end of college, you're trying to find that job, it really feels like you are smashing a hammer against a brick and concrete door and you have water sprinkling over you just for the fun of it too. Well, the word in the Greek is this for contentment. It's it's autarkes. Go ahead and say that, autarkes. Wherever you are, autarkes. Autarkes quite literally means autonomous strength, and, and what that means is strength enough. It's strength enough. It is not dependent on external circumstances. It is the kind of strength that convinces your soul that it can rest in peace, even when the things around you are not very peaceful, even when the doors in front of you will not unlock. And Paul is convinced in his soul that he can have this. That's quite shocking. It's quite shocking that Paul would say such a thing. He's in a prison cell right now, and he has the audacity to say at this point, yes, I've got contentment. Perhaps Paul reminds us of this dog. Have you seen this meme? This dog is surrounded by flames and fire, but it's sitting there saying, oh, this is fine. Everything's fine. And and, and looking at that, you say, no, no, everything is, is not fine. Well, here's the thing. Paul and the rest of the biblical authors, they don't say everything is fine even when fire is surrounding them. But a guy like Paul, whose circumstances that were surrounding him were equally as bad as this dog, he wasn't saying everything is fine, but he was saying, my soul is still at peace. And this is the key to good living. What are the keys that you depend on to unlock the door to good living for your soul? When I was living in Minnesota, I was a seminary student and I was also interning at a church. And Now, part of that internship, I was the morning custodian at the church. And uh, as the morning custodian, I had this big ring of keys. And I would attach it to my jeans. And uh, and you could just hear me coming from anywhere, right? Because I had this big big ring of keys to go with me wherever I went because I needed to be able to unlock doors. Now, if I would get to a door that I couldn't unlock, I would find my friend Jeff. And and Jeff was my supervisor. And and if I didn't have a door, I'd say, Jeff, I can't get into that room. Will you give me the key? He'd give me the key. And... I'd add that key to my ring so I could have another key to open another door to hopefully get me to good living, at least with regards to the job that I was working. Why are we willing to carry around these keys? Why are we willing to bring them around no matter how full the key ring is getting? Because the truth is, there, are time, there were times when my key ring got so full that it became very difficult to even tell which key is which. I mean, I would stand at a door for three minutes before I could finally open it up, and sometimes again, that's what it feels like in life when there are locked doors in front of us. But why in the world are we willing to carry these kinds of keys around us? I think that we're willing to do it because we need an antidote for the lack of peace that we feel from the things that are crushing us and the things that are surrounding us. Maybe we want something to be unlocked that would come into the room that we're in and it would help us face those things that we don't want to face. You know, finally, I could face that professor with poise. I could go on that date with confidence, or I could see the lack of dates that I have and really not care because I had unlocked the key to good living and and I'm fine. But where do we find that? Do we find that in carrying around a whole bunch of keys and just trying to find pleasure? Let me be careful here. Pleasure 
There's nothing wrong with pleasure because God, in, God created pleasure. It's just when pleasure is used in the wrong way. I mean, look at creation around us. And there are things that just completely blow us away. But who are we supposed to worship? Who are we supposed to glorify? Romans chapter 1 says this. Paul wrote Romans as well. And he writes this to a different group of people. It talks about the origination of sin and, and, and why it happened and why sometimes we get off and sometimes we stand in front of locked doors and can't get through them. It talks about people saying, well, we worship and serve the things God created instead of the creator himself. There are pleasures in this life, but really the pleasures, they really just kind of get to the palate of our soul. They just kind of amuse the taste a little bit. Think about it like this. Uh, do you like cinnamon rolls? Because I love cinnamon rolls. When I think about cinnamon rolls, I think about the cinnamon and I think about the icing. And if someone were to tell me, what do you love about the cinnamon roll? I, I, I say, the, the cinnamon. But if someone were to hand me a spoonful of cinnamon and say, okay, go ahead and take a bite of this. Have you ever tried that? It's called the cinnamon challenge. And I have tried it before and it did not end well. I've tried eating icing out of a cup before. And, and frankly, at first, like, this is so great. But nobody lives on a diet of icing. And why? Because it's not sustainable. And so if you had tried all of those things and someone sits in front of you and says, okay, you can have the cinnamon, you can have the icing, or you can have the roll, the bread. Which one would you take? You'd take the bread. Pleasures in life, they're the things that are good and like, uh, they, they, they meet the needs of our taste. They reach the palates of our souls. But they don't satisfy our souls in the way that we wanted them to because it's not a sustainable diet for our soul. Our soul needs something more than that, something more than pleasure. Paul was a guy who could have had all sorts of pleasure in his life, but he writes this in Philippians chapter four. He writes this a lot over the book of Philippians, things like this. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. Because remember Paul? Paul at a certain point, he was totally living with everything. Paul had it all. He had status, he had education, he had power. Paul had everything he could have wanted. But he's saying, take it away. Take it away. And I'd still have strength enough. My soul could still rest in peace. Now, Paul is writing this literally behind a locked door, behind a prison door. Everything around him is falling apart. He's waiting on the word to whether or not he's going to be put to death. And this is the moment when he says, ah, yes. Now I've found the secret. I found the thing that can never be taken from me because I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. It's not the pleasures that will lead to the key. That, it's not the pleasures that are the key to good living. It's not. Cynthia Heimel, she was this brilliant journalist. She wrote a really creative piece one time on some of the most powerful people and celebrities in the world. She hung around New York City and so she had lots of uh, interesting relationships and friendships with some, uh, with some very high rollers, if you will. She had lots of friends who were celebrities, lots of friends who had uh, collected insane amounts of wealth. But since she knew, because she knew them well, she also knew them behind closed doors. And so she wrote an article about it one time. It said these people, they chased after their dreams. And it was the minute when their dream came true that they also became a monster. And maybe that's a little unfair. You're like, okay, Cynthia, I mean, my goodness, they're humans, right? But the point that she was trying to make this, and she continues when she says, see, it was the moment when their dream came true and everyone else praised them that they had to step behind a closed door again. And while their dream had come true, so had their nightmare. 
nothing had actually changed. They were still them, locked behind a door, seeking for the key to good living. Is there a master key to good living? <laughs> Am I always gonna have to walk around with a bunch of different keys just to open up a bunch of different doors that might satisfy me for a moment only to let me down again? Maybe for you, you think, well, the key to my life is if I could just have that thing, you know? Like the things that the people had accomplished and achieved and collected um, who were friends with Cynthia Heimel. You ever notice something about the nicest cars in a lot? They're always parked the farthest away from the building. Because we think to ourselves, well, if I could get that car, if I could get that item or that possession, then I would be happy. But then that turns into, well, I would actually be happy and it would be good living if I could make sure that I don't ever damage that car. So I, I park it far away. But now on this mile-long walk to the building, I, I start to see other cars. I start to want those cars. And now I'll be happy if I could get those. The locks are changing. And there's only a certain amount of keys that I can keep on my ring <laughs> until either the ring runs out of space or it just completely drags me to the ground. Paul invites us to something else. I, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. And maybe you're sitting there and you're like, well, no, see, I'm a deep thinker. And so I recognize the things in my life that don't bring me peace and that don't bring me joy. So, so I'm just going to throw them out. And I'm not going to enjoy anything. And that leads us to a place of cynicism. And sure, maybe you will remove yourself from getting in the way of other people or you remove yourself from getting in the way of yourself because there are no longer any letdowns. You just stay on a spiritual low all the time. But the point was never just to simply rid ourselves of the things that can't bring us true, good life to our souls. There was a psychologist from Harvard and, and he wrote about the reasons why he joined the study of psychoanalysis. So I joined psychoanalysis and the study of it because I felt like I was an intolerable person. And now that I've studied it, I only know why I'm an intolerable person, but it hasn't helped me solve how to not be an intolerable person. It hasn't done anything for me. The point is not simply just to remove the things that don't get you good, that, that don't give you, bring, that, excuse me, that don't bring true life to your soul. It's, it's more than that. Scripture leads us to seek deeper. Maybe we're starting to wonder, okay, well, maybe it's not the things that I can uh, uh, tangibly hold on to in this world. And maybe it's not the things that I can get out of my life in this world. My goodness, is that master key out there anywhere in the universe? Is there a master key to true, good living? Well, yes, it, it is out there, but it is also otherworldly. And, and at first, maybe here they're like, oh, that, that's a disappointment because therefore I'll, I'll never achieve it. It's otherworldly, but the fact that your soul desires something that's otherworldly, that says something about life, doesn't it? I quoted C.S. Lewis a couple of weeks ago, and I want to quote him again. Author of the Chronicles of Narnia, a brilliant scholar from Oxford, was once an atheist, um, doubted uh, and denied the existence of God and, and sought to, to disprove his existence. But then he came across conclusions like this. He said, you know, I'm finding it interesting that things that I desire in life, there's usually a solution for them. You know, I mean, for example, a duckling wants to swim and, and there's water. I want to eat because I'm hungry and, and there's food. And then he says this, if I, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made 
for another world. C.S. Lewis, a man who doubted and um, denied the very existence of God his entire life, comes across things like these. He said, you know, there must be a master key somewhere out in the universe. And do not let it discourage you that it is otherworldly. It's otherworldly. But that's good news because it is bringing otherworldly strength into this world that we're walking through, where it sometimes feels like we don't have enough strength to break through the doors of life. Paul talks about that strength that's coming to this world. Philippians chapter 4, 13, he writes one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. I can do anything. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And when we think of that verse, we think about, you know, football players scoring touchdowns or runners winning races. We think about somebody achieving the accolades in the business world, getting the best grades. But Paul is writing it from a prison cell. When we think about, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, we think victory. Paul is saying, I can lose. I can die. My entire life can fall apart and I would still have strength enough. I would still be content. My soul would still be at peace. Where does that come from? You bet it comes from outside of this world. But that master key that existed in the universe from the beginning of time has entered this world and has joined you. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, uh, well, that, that, that must be hard because uh, if I'm going to hang out with the master key, I've got to behave like the master key and I've got to do the right stuff. And, and it starts to feel like, well, that's not something that my soul could actually grasp and my soul could actually get to know. Uh, that master key is too far away. You know, it's cool, though. In the Bible, it doesn't just encourage you to know this master key and, and to, to, to believe that and, and to trust in that kind of strength. It commands your soul to do it. And if your soul is commanded to do something, that means that your soul was actually created to do that. It's expected to do what it was made to do. Take a look in Exodus chapter 20. We get the Ten Commandments from God. These are the things, the way that our souls are supposed to operate. This is what good life looks like. The final commandment, it's summarized with this. You must not covet. Don't covet. Coveting is when your soul is grasping for those things, believing that if I don't have fill in the blank in my life, if I can't get through door number one and find the right major, if I can't get through door number two and have the right friends, if I can't get through door number three and get the right job, if I can't get through the doors that are in between and now my summer job is completely falling apart, I have strength enough. How? Well, take a look at the other bookend of the Ten Commandments. It's the first commandment. You must have no other God but me. Do you see how those two commandments work together? Have no other God. Have no other key to good living. Enjoy the good things in life. Enjoy the pleasures. But your key to good living, mistake that with no one else but God. Do not mistake creation for the creator. Give glory to the creator who deserves it. It's only natural for our soul to do it. That's why God can command it, because it is what our souls were designed to do. Have no other God. We are so in love with God. We see him face to face. We see that he looks back at us face to face, that he adores us, that he approves of us, that he cares for us. And that is where we get our strength enough. If I'm so in love with God, why would I need anything else? It would be nice to have other things, don't get me wrong. But my soul doesn't need it for peace. And so Paul says, even when I am pushed down into the depths of this prison cell, Christ strengthens me. I have strength enough.
You know, Jesus knew this to be true. He knew what it was to have strength enough and to personify strength enough because he was the master key that entered the universe and unlocked the door to good living. Like I said, when I was working in Minnesota, I was unlocking all sorts of doors every single day with my ring of keys. And uh, one day, I got to a door, and, and again, I, I couldn't unlock it, so sure enough, I'm, I'm gonna go see Jeff. Can't find him anywhere. Where's Jeff? Where's Jeff? He's always here. Jeff was always at the church. And as soon as I had started to give up and think that I'd never break through that door, this actual literal door, Jeff walks in the building and goes, Danny! He tosses me one key. And I look at the key and it says, Master. I was given the master key. The master key to the universe. The master key to cosmic good living for your soul has been given to you. Jesus Christ came into the world and he unlocked the doors that we could never unlock. Jesus is on the cross and he has strength enough. He lost it all. He lost his friends. He lost his status. He lost his influence. He's about to lose his life. He looks out at the people who hate him, who are cheering for his death, and he loves them. What kind of contentment would that take in your soul to look at the people who want you dead and not to condemn them, but to pray this, Jesus from the cross says, Father, forgive them. Why did he do it? Why would he do that? Because that's what a master key does. Jesus on the cross sticks the master key to the universe. He sticks the key in that door. He says, Father, forgive them. And the door has been unlocked. The only lock that could actually keep your life and your soul from experiencing what it was always supposed to experience. It's the lock of sin. It's the confusion. It's putting other things in front of God. It's living on, an, on, a, on a diet that's not substantial and it's not sustainable. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He says it. I am the bread of life. I am the diet for you, and I am the master key who has gone into the door that will unlock the good life for all people. And he lets us in. You know, the truth is, is that sin is the thing that locks us. We fall into it. And maybe you've started to hate yourself because of it. Maybe you're starting to believe that you'll never get through that door because it might be unlocked, but there are chains behind you that are, that are still locked and you'd never get out of that, right? Good news. Christ has given you strength enough that is not of this world. You have otherworldly strength in your soul. Otherworldly strength because the master key to good life has unlocked the door for you. He's coming to this world to join you, to know you, to care for you. The key to good living is simple. 
It's trusting the master key. It's trusting that Jesus Christ is the key to good living. And sometimes that starts with putting a halt to trusting yourself so much. My invitation to you is this. Put down your ring of keys. They're weighing you down and slowing you down. And trust Jesus is the key to good living, to the life that your soul always longed to experience. And then you will experience this. Paul says in Philippians chapter four, just before what we read tonight, he says, then you will experience God's peace. It exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Jesus has unlocked the door to good living. We get to walk through it. It's not our strength. It is strength enough from the master key to real life. Amen.